Welcome to Box Talk, a podcast for affiliates and coaches, powered by Box Pro Magazine. Two years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Zach Forrest, the owner of Max Effort Fitness in Las Vegas, Nevada. At the time, and maybe still even to this day, it was the largest box I had ever walked into. I remember feeling my jaw drop as I stepped into the expansive space, blown away by the setup. It was only confirmation that it made sense to have Max Effort and Forrest on the cover of the November-December 2016 issue of BoxBro. As Forrest has a lot of information that's applicable even two years later, here is the interview from that cover story. Well, Jack, why don't we go ahead? I, I, you sent me that questionnaire, and you know, I you gave me a little bit of information. But why don't we go ahead and just kind of start at the beginning? You know, you, you okay. said that you originally found CrossFit while you were in the Navy, and I just kind of yep. want some more detail about you know what exactly that looked like, how exactly you found it, and came to open your box. So, uh, okay, so um, I found it back in 2005. Um, John Brown, Dave Castro, Andy Stump, a lot of the old school CrossFit guys. I was, I was in SEAL training and they kind of just brought it into our, our PT without really telling us what it was until <laughs> after the fact. So we had been doing CrossFit actually, you know what, I'm not even sure, probably going on like three, four, maybe even six months before Dave finally at one point asked our class, he was like, Hey, uh, I need some volunteers to go through a course this weekend about, about training, about exercise, about fitness. Um, it's being put on by CrossFit and all of us in the military were just uh, at that point in our class, we were looking around like, Oh my God, none of us want to give up our weekend to go to this thing. We already know how to exercise. It's fine. And, um, he was like, okay, I need 30 volunteers. And he gave us one of those looks like, Hey, if people don't, if I don't get 30 people to sign up for this thing, you're all going to suffer. And we were like, Oh crap. All right, fine. So we kind of put up our hands and we're like, all right, we'll go, whatever. So we, we made, made it a joke. We were being voluntold that we were taking this course. Um, and unbeknownst to us, it was a, it was a level one course that was being put on by him, by Dave, Craig Glassman, and Nicole Carroll. And uh, back then, it was a three-day course, I'm pretty sure. Um, and we, we got our butts whooped. Like, uh, it, was, it was pretty eye-opening. And, and at the end of it, we were just – we were listening to Greg talk, and it was, it was just – we were enthralled. We were like, oh, my God, why isn't this stuff widespread? Like, this makes so much sense. Uh, it, 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 nothing else now makes sense. It was, it was that eye-opening for a lot of us that were training. And um, we, I basically just took it and run. I, from that point on, I included, started to include CrossFit workouts or what I thought were CrossFit workouts in my own training um, to get ready for, you know, deployment in, in, the, in the work that we were doing. And mm-hmm. – uh, it wasn't until about maybe a year or two later where I completely switched over to nothing but CrossFit because I would do like the conditioning workouts and stuff like that. I heard about Jim Jones and the movie 300 and all that stuff. And I would use those workouts, but I was still really much into like my, my back and by split chest tries, legs and shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, go run four miles and go swim and go do pushups, pull-ups, like straight sets. Um, the military stuff, because that's what it got where I was. Um, and then I realized the more I learned about CrossFit, the more I realized, like, that's an inefficient way of training. So it took about a year and a half to two years for me to actually fully transition over to nothing but CrossFit. Um, and while I was in the military, I was in charge of uh, helping out what was called HPI, which was the team training for other SEALs. 
And uh, we, we use a lot of stuff from Jim Jones and cross like old school CrossFit. Uh, uh, is the guy that follows uh, or that developed Jim Jones and he came from CrossFit. Um, and so I got some coaching experience there, but only coaching other guys in the military, other SEALs. So when I got out in 2008, I was looking, I, I came home to Vegas and I say came home. I, my parents had moved here while I was in the military. Um, and I was looking for a place to do CrossFit that wasn't 24 hour fitness. And I found, um, a guy named Joe Marsh and he was running classes, CrossFit classes, uh, in the corner of the town, like off to the side. And, and, uh, I went out there, trained with him for about a month. He had to go out of town. So he was going to shut down some classes for like a week. And I told him, I was like, Hey, I've, I, I have my, my level one credential and you know, if you want, I can, we can keep the classes open and I won't even, you know, like I don't even need to get payment or anything like that. Like I'll just run the classes for you while you're out of town. And so that was my first time training civilians. <laughs> oh, interesting. How'd that go? Yeah. So that was, that was a, uh, an eye opening experience. <laughs> I, it didn't go as bad as, as one might think. Like I was, I was, I knew I had to be a little bit more friendly and I could tell people to do stuff, but it was still, it was, it was interesting coaching non-athletes or people that were, um, you know, not as serious about their training as maybe SEALs were. And so I, I developed a knack for it, and I, and I started to enjoy it. And then about a month after that, uh, me and Joe were talking. We decided to open up the first official training facility in Las Vegas. It was Cross to Las Vegas, and that was in 2008. Um, I think we officially opened our doors in June. And... Um, and so it went from there. We we grew it, and then in about 2010, I opened up a second location, CrossFit 702, with a separate partner, um, Jared Glover. And uh, so at at in 2010, I was running back and forth between two locations with two different partners. And uh, okay, that that was that that stressed both relationships, but yeah. not to the point to where like like there was a whole like it was openly um what's what's the best word for me to use uh like not to the point to where joe was like openly like you cannot be a, a, a partner over there while also being a partner here you probably felt it was unfair never communicated to me i was young i didn't really understand mm-hmm. um that sort of thing but mm-hmm. um long story short i ended up um selling my half of CrossFit 702 to Jared. We dissolved CrossFit Las Vegas, that current LLC. Joe took the name CrossFit Las Vegas, opened up his sec- a separate facility under that name. Um, Jared took CrossFit okay. 702, and then I opened up CrossFit Max Effort in 2011 with my wife. Um, okay. Uh, then wife. And then uh, we, we just grew it. The, half the membership basically came with us from CrossFit Las Vegas. Half of them went with Joe. And we started CrossFit Max Effort with about 80 or 90 people. And uh, now we have, um, I've been, since been divorced. And now, man, my partnerships just do not work out, apparently. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, they keep changing. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now um, we have two locations. And between the two locations, right around 500 members. Wow. And uh We've been open since uh, 2011. That second location, um, I'm sorry, this is probably pertinent. I bought it from Jared. It was CrossFit 702, and then I ended up buying it back from him. Uh, So so CrossFit 702 no longer exists? Correct. Now it's CrossFit Max Effort West. Uh, Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. 
So, so what? I guess I'm just kind of curious. Heather, what, are you there? Yeah, I'm oh. still here. I'm still here. Okay. Okay. Cool. Right. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like, what's led to maybe your mindset to change? You know, going from like owning, you know, a business with partners to, um, you know, getting away from them and then opening up like your other box on your own. You said because you've been doing two locations, two different partners. And you were young, you didn't maybe realize you know, what that meant to each of your partners. But what kind of led you to that change and opening up your box on your own? Well, I realized that it's unfair to put um, certain expectations on a partner, uh, especially if you don't have a one uh, crystal clear and well-written operating agreement. Um, and you guys don't share the same long-term vision or possibly you guys don't share the same um, understanding of, of what it takes to be successful or maybe even what success is. Um, mm-hmm. Success to me was something different than what success to Joe was. It was different from uh, with Jared. So I think what I ended up learning was that the amount of communication that goes into an effective partnership is only going to be as good as you guys are on the same page to begin with. Like if you guys don't have the same goal for the company or the same uh, understanding of those things, then good communication is going to only take you so far. So that's why I think I decided. um, And then, I mean, the me going to a sole owner was honestly, it was due to divorce. Lindsay and I, when we were married, we, we had the same idea for the business. We wanted to. We were actually going to attempt remaining business partners as a divorced couple, but um, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't going to work. Yeah. So, yeah, that, it just wasn't going to. So, um, yeah, so it, I think that's what I ended up learning as far as uh, taking on partners or dealing with partners, that good communication and a good working relationship is is important, but if both of you don't, have the same vision or the same measures of success, it's going to be a rough ride anyway. And that's just my personal experience. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point because sometimes you just hear, you know, preach communication, communicate, communicate. But if you don't have a foundation on which to communicate, that communication might not mean anything. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, and you said, I'm kind of curious, you said that your definition of success is different from your previous partner's definitions of success. But what what would you say you define success as? Well, that's a good question. You know what? I constantly um, reevaluate my answers because the market changes. My, I, I, as a person, change. Uh, as a coach, as a business owner, I'm changing. And... Uh, if you were to ask me what my definition was in 2008 to 2010, I bet you it would be different now. Um, my my definition then would have been we need to be the best training facility in, in Las Vegas as far as the biggest, the most equipment, uh, the most amount of members. And I didn't equate that to financial success. I just equate it to popularity. If we were popular, that means we were um, – we were doing things right. And now what I'm understanding is that's, that's as I'm matured, that's not the case. Popularity doesn't mean you're doing things right. That just means yeah. you may be giving people what they want or that you have good marketing. And while that stuff is important, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that your business is, uh, is doing what you intended it to do. So now I measure success 
um, two different ways. Financially, right? Uh, definitely measure the, the health of the business through, you know, P&L, cash flow, balance sheet, like making sure that all those metrics are, are healthy. But uh, the success of the business goes to the um, impact it has on the community, uh, the health and fitness community here in Las Vegas, and then uh, the, the direct feedback that we get from the members. As long as the members are happy and they're seeing progress and results, and that's what I mean by being happy, as long as we are um, delivering, over-delivering what we say we will, then, uh, then I think we're being successful. And I've kind of removed myself from the coaching floor. I still coach a little bit, but I've, I've shifted my focus as a coach to dealing with um, my coaches. So now I judge my own success off of how, how successful and happy are, is my staff. Mm-hmm. If I take care of my staff, if I take care of my team and they're extremely happy and they're, being, um, they're getting everything that they, uh, that they need to, to lead a fulfilling life, then they will make sure that my members and our customers are being taken care of. So my focus has shifted directly from, from the people who are paying the business to the people who are running the business. Hmm. Was that a full realization over time, that shift, you know, just experience with the business and realizing where, you know, your focus needs to lie? Or, you know, what, what changed that definition of success? Was there a moment or was it just a slow change? That, that changed the moment I realized that I was not going to be able to uh, continue to grow the company by myself. That changed mm-hmm. the moment I realized that the team is more important than the actual service or product that's being delivered because in actuality, that's exactly the service and product that's being delivered is the team that you bring on to, uh, to run the gym. So my coaches, that's, and that's what separates CrossFit affiliates. Every CrossFit affiliate preaches, oh, we have the best community. Oh, we have the best programming. Oh, our facility is great, blah, 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 blah. That stuff doesn't matter if, you're, if your staff, if the people, if the, if the relationships being developed inside the gym are not fulfilling, if they're not genuine. And that comes down to the coaching. Hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I was super impressed when you sent me back that questionnaire. You said you have 10 full-time staff members. Right, and we actually, I mean, yeah, we, we lost a couple since that. Uh, Juan is moving to Hawaii, and, oh, um, nice. yeah, so he, but he's moving to Hawaii to go uh, work with a nonprofit and, and help bring CrossFit to uh, underprivileged youth in Hawaii. Um, uh, you can't so be mad at him for that, then. <laughs> no, absolutely not, absolutely not. Yeah, and uh, another one was a position, oh, actually, no, I guess we just lost the one. Yeah, so we just lost one, so we're down to nine now. Okay, but Wait, how do you... let me recap my head. <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, yeah, one, two, three, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, we're at nine now. Yep. So how how in the world have you been able to build up your business enough to support nine full time staff members? Um. So recently, we and when I say recently, I mean about six months ago, I had a shift in, in perspective on the business in the sense that the business was only going to grow or be as successful as the team, the staff, was willing to accept ownership in it. And without exactly giving them ownership, I was struggling to find a way where uh, the staff would be able to um, have as much emotional and uh, um, maybe even financial investment in the situation as I did. So what I ended up doing was switching over 
the the way we compensate our trainers to a company performance based system. Instead of just paying them salary, our coaches get paid. Uh, actually, every single person on staff, on some level, gets paid based off of um, metrics in the business. The business is helped. So if the membership goes up, my coaches get more money. If if uh, revenue goes up, they they get more money. If membership goes up and the revenue goes down, their their pay is adjusted accordingly. If um, our retention goes up, you know, community coordinator gets more money. So every position, um, because we have staff positions. And then we, like, HR, admin, community coordinator, and mm-hmm. social media marketing and stuff like that. And then we have coaching positions. We have, you know, trainers. We have senior coaches, coaches, head coach. Um, they all get paid based off of different metrics. Hmm. Interesting. So how did you uh, decide on those metrics? Was there a certain system you took, or was it just kind of, you know, test trial and error? Well, uh, a little bit was trial and error, but what I ended up doing was I said, Okay, what are these people responsible for in in the business? Like, what what does this person have direct impact? How does this person contribute to the bottom line, right? And then I would look at what area of the business is, uh, in that sense, measurable. So, uh, the community coordinator, for instance, they are directly responsible for creating um, a, a good atmosphere for for people to want to continue to come back. They're they're responsible for retention. They're responsible for customer service are responsible for quality control, really, not so much as coaching, but every other aspect in the business. So I use retention as a means of uh, gauging their effectiveness and what they're doing in their job. So the higher our retention rate, the more money they get, whereas um, okay. coaches, they're directly responsible for retention and uh, members' results. So the more that members are logging the results and the more progress that members are making and then the more um, members that stay on board, the more money they make. If they Obviously, they have a direct correlation to like one-on-one training and personal training and that sort of thing as well. Um, also, attendance in class. If attendance per week is up, they get paid more because that's going to directly translate to uh, more dedicated members, more uh, a longer lifetime of a member. Uh, so it, I just looked at those things, and then uh, it was trial and error figuring out exactly how much they were getting paid based off those mm-hmm. stats rather than what stats to pay them based off of. That makes sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you said all of your all of the positions within your business are, are paid like that? Uh, with the exception of myself. And uh, our HN, our HR admin person who gets okay. a flat salary. Okay. Okay. Just want to clarify that. Oh, oh no, yep. that's interesting. So, what what result have you seen from that? You said it, you started uh, implementing that six months ago. Uh, that's when I started thinking and developing the system. The pay system has only been implemented for maybe I think we're going on our third month. Okay. Have you and seen so far, like, it's, it's been good. It's been good? Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely been good because what we're seeing is that the – and this was this was the desired effect. I wanted to, I wanted to get the employees, um, the staff, more invested in, in the growth and the um, sustainability of the company. They It was that everybody was just being paid a salary. They would just show up, they would do their job, and then they would go home. Mm-hmm. And um, and while some people, that's, that's good motivation – um, there was no motivation to perform better or worse, and yeah. I don't like that. I like I like direct um, 
correlation to performance. So not that everybody on staff needed that, but what I've noticed is that people come into work um, with a different mindset, with mm-hmm. a different uh, perspective in the sense that, hey, what I do here today in this moment, in this next class for the next couple hours, it matters. It impacts yeah. more than just myself because because coaches will impact each other's salary. If one coach leads a bad class and we lose a member, that impacts everybody. So it's a very much a team environment now, mm-hmm. and that's what the goal was. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it goes, back, it goes back to the word that you said before is the word ownership and, you know, giving them something to own instead of just to do. And there's it's a powerful right. word, so... Absolutely. Absolutely. And now I don't actually, they, none of them actually have ownership in the company. Yeah. Um, but what I'm looking at is taking it a step further. Everybody has like full benefits. Like they have the same benefits that I have, same healthcare, same 401k and all this other stuff. But what I'm looking at is, uh, trying to develop a, a, a direct profit sharing, um, option for my more senior employees. And mm-hmm. I haven't come up with it just yet. The numbers are a little <laughs> bit more working. But uh, but that's that's next on the list for me. Yeah, well, uh, kudos to you for figuring that out. That scared me. So good job, doing great. <laughs> um, but no, I and I I just think it's so cool though to see like you're pouring into these people because you know you want them to take ownership in the business. But it also goes back to um, you reiterated on the questionnaire just about how you know you're, you're looking for teammates. You're not just looking for employees or staff members. Like teammates was a right. key word to you, and I guess. You know, how have you gone about building that sort of culture within, you know, your business and, and, and finding those correct teammates instead of just people looking for a job? How have you gone about doing that within Macbeth effort? Um, to be honest, I wish I had a good answer for that, but it's, it's <laughs> basically trial and error. Um, I, I am not the best uh, judge of character, mm-hmm. I guess, um, I, and, I, and that's definitely one of my flaws. I tend to believe in the best in people and sometimes mm-hmm. that ends up me uh missing some some early warning signs uh we but basically it's if i sense that you are being poisonous or cancerous to the team then i'm going to start scrutinizing you a little bit more and then eventually if that behavior doesn't change then you're going to get fired but um yeah, you can, yeah you're definitely yeah. just going to get let go but as far as like the interview and the onboarding process, what I'm looking for is someone that has the personality um, where they can entertain and inspire people and uh, and mm-hmm. like the members, obviously, and then people that have a, a work ethic that is team oriented. So in the interviews, if I hear a lot of I want to, or this needs to happen for me to be happy, stuff like that, then I, I usually shy away. What I like to hear is, well, I'd like to help with this, or I'd like to, to see, like, I want their attitude and their perspective to be coming from helping the entire picture as a mm-hmm. whole rather than them being able to do stuff at the gym or the company that helps them. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder for me to explain, but it's kind of intrinsic. It's like you get that feeling, that vibe from people when you talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, you you do. You, you can tell if somebody is selfish or if they're looking to better the whole. So. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's what I look for. Have you always had that sort of mindset when you look to build your team, or is that something that's also kind of grown and morphed as time has gone on? No, that's definitely something that's grown as, as time has gone on. Because when I first started hiring people, the only thing that I cared about was their ability to coach well. 
And that was short-sighted of me. Like I said, as long as you had great technical knowledge and you could see and correct, and then you were, um, you know, you were not a boring person to take a class from and you could lead a good <laughs> class and you could lead people. I, like, I was like, okay, this is someone that I want to have on my team. And this is someone that I want to hire. And what I realized was being a good coach goes well beyond, uh, being a good coach at Cross at Max Effort goes well beyond being able to lead a, an awesome class. Like, we definitely want that, but a coach is good at building relationships. A coach is good at public speaking. A coach is good at, at even written word and communicating through social media. A good coach can do everything. And that, those are the type of people that I want. I don't want someone that just wants to walk in, coach their one-hour class, $20 an hour or whatever. I want someone that wants to grow the entire industry, the entire company. Hmm. And, and that's where my perspective has shifted. Before, when I first started out, I just wanted someone that was the best coach, um, on the floor coach. That's what I wanted. Yeah, no, for sure. But, but you also said in your question that you still excel really at teaching the basics. So that really hasn't changed. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So you still have like some super solid coaches. It sounds like, and they know exactly what they're doing, but you look beyond just the coaching ability then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the, 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 the having a sound coaching ability and being able to coach the basics extremely well, that has now become, instead of something that I'm, I'm looking for, that has become one of the bare minimum requirements. Mm. So I guess in, in what you just say is that my standards have been raised. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense because the maturity of the market, the maturity of the, the pool at which we are able to pull coaches from now has become much larger. Back in 2008, 2010, if you had your even your level two credential, you were like, oh my God, this person must be an outstanding coach. Let me yeah. get them on the team. Now, the pool of, uh, of candidates for any position that at any CrossFit gym is going to be so much more competitive that they need to bring skills to an affiliate outside of just leading good group training. Mm-hmm. They need to bring sales skills. They need to bring communication skills. They need they need to bring leadership and management skills. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You're right because it's no longer just oh you have a level one great you can coach, but it's like no you have to have more than that. So right. Yeah. So, but why why is it that Cross Max Effort has focused so much on the basics? Like that does that come from you and um, you know your training? You know why why did you say in your questionnaire like you just do the basics really well? Why do you think that's maybe a distinctive part of your box? I think because uh, I know that's my my advantage. I think I know mm-hmm. that's that's our our market advantage. People nowadays they see CrossFit on the up and up, and they want they want all the new shiny stuff. They want to be able to mm-hmm. teach an athlete to do. Uh, a muscle up before they can actually give you a proper ring dip or even a bar dip, and it, and it goes back to what Greg um, Greg Glassman was saying at the very very beginning. It's like if you are able to coach the basics extremely well, your athletes will only benefit. It's it's it's. I'm looking at virtuosity from a head coach's standpoint, not from a coach to athlete standpoint, but from a business owner to a coach standpoint. The better we do the basics, the better we bring about those simple things the better it is for everybody that's involved with us. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And it sounds like maybe that has even been uh, seen just within, I know you said your drop-in rate is exponential. It sounds like you get a ton of drop-ins. And I wonder if maybe that yeah. has something to do with it, that people just hear it. Because honestly, I have heard from other like affiliates, like, oh, yeah, I've gone to Max Suffer and 
it was an awesome class and I learned so much. I'm like, wow, this sounds like a great place to go. So I, it, it's amazing to me because I'll hear, um, I won't even coach the class and I'll talk to people that have just dropped in. They're on their way out of the gym and be like, Hey, so how was, how, how'd you like the class? And they're just like, man, I've been doing uh CrossFit for two years. and I've never heard a kettlebell uh, swing explained like that. I learned how to, I, I improved my kettlebell swing. I'm like something as basic as a kettlebell swing or a thruster or, you know, like a wall ball or a box jump. And people that have been doing this, this CrossFit for two years are still learning about basic stuff like that. And it's because, I think a lot of coaches out there take the simplicity of those movements for granted. Mm. Um, and, and we just, we, I just don't allow that here. We, we don't. So that's yeah. what, uh, maybe that's what they're referring to. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but yeah. I am curious. I mean, has it always been that way where you, you've had that many drop-ins? I mean, you said 15 to 22 per day that I, I just can't even comprehend that. Is it Las Vegas? Is it the relocation? It's got, it's, it's, it's well, yeah, absolutely. Um, our uh, our proximity to the strip absolutely helps. We are at the south end of the strip. With, okay. If you're staying at the Mandalay Bay, we're we're just over a mile away. Um, wow. If uh, I mean, yeah, Las Vegas, we get tons of visitors, conventions, um, business conventions, uh, shows. We get, yeah, I think it's just the the visitor ratio to the city. This entire city mm-hmm. is industry is based off tourism. So we positioned our, our location specifically at the hub of, of Las Vegas tourism. So I think that's what it has to do. Our reputation, um, the fact that, you know, we house a games athlete and, um, and, and the size of our facility with the biggest one in Las Vegas and, and we have good uh, social media outreach. I think that stuff helps, but I really just tack it down to our proximity to the strip. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I'm also curious because with so many drop-ins, like, have you been able to take any uh, lessons away from, like, even how to do business better with visitors to your box? Like, have you maybe over the years learned how to better serve these drop-ins that maybe you could impart? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That'd be great because I'm yeah. sure boxes it was, don't it do was, Well, and, and so it's it's just interesting because I don't think any any other gym out there has the 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 issues that we have. We have the issues mm-hmm. of constant phone calls where people are like, Hey, what's the difference between this class and this class? Or what's your schedule? Or what's the workout? Or where are you guys located? And we get, we get that like probably five to 10 times full what other gyms get. So we had to develop an inquiry system, how to answer the phones and obviously all that stuff. But then we had to set up our website so that we could push people into pre-registering online because it used to be we would get groups of five to 10, you know, like a bachelor party shows up and they're like, Hey, we're here. And we're like, okay, cool. It's five minutes before class. Let's get everybody checked in on the system, sign the waiver. By the way, who's done CrossFit? Oh, three of the five people have done CrossFit. You oh, two. Man. Okay, never touched a kettlebell before. All right, well, this is going to be fun. So now, so now we have a system where we've utilized our website, our social media, Facebook, to um, not only answer all these questions ahead of time, but to also streamline the check-in process, the, the payment system. Um, and then our coaches have become extremely adept at scaling on the fly because we don't like to turn people away. We don't like first time mm-hmm. visitors, but um, you know, there are exceptions to every rule and mm-hmm. and sometimes we'll have a class of twenty five people and three of the visitors in that, that group will have never done CrossFit before. But wow. our coaches can still effectively take them through a class. So mm-hmm. we've we've learned we've learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Also, no, it never, sure. it never let 
people work out bef- after they've uh, gone out for a bachelor party. That was a big one. <laughs> Always coming before you go out drinking. Yeah. Did you learn that the hard way? Multiple times. It's still an oh, issue, actually, now that I think about no. it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you learned that. Live and learn and, and move on from there. So, well, and I know you said in your yep. questionnaire that, like, one of the big things, too, you've been learning is, like, automation. And so that sounds like yep. it comes down to those kind of systems as such, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we have nine full-time staff, but that's between both locations. So at any time, there's only three or four coaches um, at our main facility, and that means that um, they're going to be spread thin. We have some people running the front desk. We have some people. Mm-hmm. I always have two coaches on the floor, or most of the time I have two coaches on the floor. And then it's just there's a lot going on. So the more things that we can automate, um, retention emails, the check-in process, um, and anything like that is going to save time for the coaches so they can dedicate more time to being effective relationship builders, effective coaches on the floor for movement, and and actually making the business grow rather than just sustaining the business. Yeah. What so kind of game? Automation is a huge thing. No, for sure. Can you give me maybe um, a specific example of something that you've, you know, you automated and you saw positive results from? Um, so other than like the check-in system and the registration with visitors, uh, something else that we've automated, uh, the online store and shipping has been great. Um, shipping out, uh, retail. Um, what else has been automated? Um, a lot of retention stuff or, or membership billing has been automated and, uh, we have someone that just upkeeps it. So like retention emails, attendance, uh, emails, uh, billing notifications. We use MindBody and uh, Constant Contact to automate a lot of communication. So, like um, check-ins and membership surveys for visitors. Like every time you drop in, uh, if you're a first-time visitor, you'll get an email asking, "Hey, do you have any feedback for us? Here's how to follow us on social media. Um, if there, if you have any questions or if you're coming back, here's here's some links." So that gets automated. The entire process for visitors other than the actual coaching on the floor, has been automated. And so what that allows us to do is deal with these high amounts of visitors and drop-ins, but not take anything away from our members. Mm. Yeah, so I was going to say with so many drop-ins, I, I was curious if it, you know, impacted the class in a negative sort of way. But since you've set it up in such a way, yeah. it's like, no, it doesn't take away from that. Okay. And our members have, like, kind of taken to it because the last thing we want to do is is take away from our paying membership base. And yeah. um, and a lot of them actually, like, they embrace visitors. They'll take them back mm-hmm. instead of get, making them get an Uber or a taxi. They'll take them back to their hotel. They'll, oh, they'll cool. stay afterwards and they'll do, like, some push-ups with them or something like that. Yeah, it's, our community here the, is very, very welcoming to visitors. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I think they have to be just with the amount you have. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's. That's yeah. nice. They've even taken it on themselves to, you know, kind of give a give the notion that you know max effort is so accepting of visitors, even the membership. So, Absolutely. yep. So, and I'm also kind of curious, you know, looking at all. I mean, you give me so much like crazy information just about you know what you've done and changed and grown. Where has this um, business knowledge stemmed from? I mean, is it just been experience, trial and error? Like, where where do you get all this knowledge? From? Um, a lot of it was uh, trial and error, but a lot of it was just research. I think it's split evenly. Like, you know, when you first start coaching, 
Um, you, you go onto the journal and you read everything that you can read. You pick up the NSDA book, you pick up like a bunch, like four or five different books and you start reading about coaching so you can have all this knowledge and then you go put into practice. Um, I, after about two, three years of owning CrossFit Las Vegas, as I was coming into CrossFit Max Effort, my, my, my learning curve or my learning priority shifted. I went away from coaching and uh, more onto business. And so I started reading more books. I started doing, reading more blogs and looking up um, how different companies handle different issues within the company, even in different industries. And I tried to learn from them. I talk to people all the time about business. Um, Jason Kalipa is a great friend of mine that, that has given me a ton of insight on how to, how to run an effective business. Uh, ben Bergeron has great knowledge. There's a, there's a lot of people out there that um, do great things within the affiliate community that I, I kind of just take as much as possible from them, and then I just put my own spin on it. So a lot of it has been that uh, where I go out and I seek knowledge of, of reputable and successful people. Um, a lot of it has been reading on my own. A lot of it has been trial and error. But you know what? Now that I think about it, I think my parents have the biggest impact. Everybody in my family, um, aunts and uncles, they're all entrepreneurs. They all own their own business. And my mom and dad, um, when I moved out here, they moved out here to open up their own uh, restaurant and they ended up with uh, two locations. They just sold them. And I think a lot of my uh, insights came from watching them develop their own business. Yeah. So that's, that's a, yeah, I just realized, like, they absolutely have had a huge impact mm-hmm. on uh, my ability to be successful in that realm. Well, I thought it was so cool when you mentioned that. I mean, how many... How many people can say that not just one, but multiple people in their family are entrepreneurs <laughs> and are taking those leaps yeah. and those risks? So, and maybe what do you think are some of the largest impacts you know your your parents and their entrepreneurship have had on your own entrepreneurship and uh, business growth? Um, probably directly related to work ethic, and uh, because you you see someone that's so passionate about um, their own business or their own idea, and you see what they're willing to sacrifice. And a lot of people don't realize what being an entrepreneur um, really looks like. A lot of people think, oh, I can just sit back and manage things and yeah. and let the team do everything, and that'll be fine. And I don't think that's how it actually works. Like there is, like people go out there and they say, oh, I have to hustle and all this other stuff. And you still have to hustle as an entrepreneur even more so. It's just in a different way. Um, and depending on how your business is run or how you decide to run your business will determine how much you have to hustle, where you have to hustle. But the entrepreneur is kind of one of those positions in life where you don't get a guide. You don't get a handbook. Mm. It, if you aren't able to figure stuff out on your own, if you aren't able to seek out work, you will not be successful as an entrepreneur because nobody's going to be there saying, hey, this is what you need to do next, This and this is how you do it. It's kind of like a constant reevaluation of where you're at versus where you want to be, what needs to be done in order to get there. Okay, let me focus on that. So uh, if you're not self-motivated, if you're not intrinsic, uh, if you're not geared towards um, optimizing things, or if you're not geared towards breaking things down, questioning everything, you probably will not be a successful entrepreneur, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely... And that's, it, that's something that I learned from mom and dad. Hmm. I, I just think that's so cool that your parents inspired you in that way. And you said your, your mom now works at CrossFit Max Effort? 
Yep, she is the person that is in charge of all admin, and I couldn't have anybody better on that because <laughs> her brain is is uh, is is amazing. The, her ability to multitask and 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 still have a great attention to detail is I haven't found anybody that can match her. It's mm. it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I, I'm I'm scared of when she finally says, "Okay, I'm ready to retire," and I don't know who I'm going to replace her with. I'm going to need like, to hire three different people to replace uh, her. <laughs> I know. That's yeah, that's gonna be bad. You're like, Mom, just please train somebody before you go and just teach them all of your awesomeness. They can exactly. that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, no, I just I think that's cool that um, you know, she's stepped in and, and been helping out. So I think that's very neat. And then Zach, I'm also kinda curious, you know, if if someone would come up to you, uh, an affiliate and be like, Hey, you know, I'm really curious. What are what are some of the the top lessons you've learned since opening up, you know, Max Effort over the or even your other previous boxes, owning across the box? What are some of the top like three lessons you've learned that you would impart upon another affiliate uh, who is who's looking to thrive in their business? Um, let's say three things. The first first thing I would say is your team is the most important asset that you have. People are your most important aspect, or excuse me, asset. And the reason, and it's like, that can't be understated. Like, that's so cliche to hear, but it is, it is your gym. Like, if the people that you have working inside your walls is everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the, the, the number one thing that, a developing business or affiliate should focus on is making sure that the people they have on the team is, is right for the team. Mm-hmm. You share the same vision, you same, share the same direction, uh, the same passion, and um, and and you have all that. All needs to be there. Um, the next thing after the team, I would say, try to systemize or automate as many things as possible with the idea that you're going to grow. So when you develop a system or a, a procedure, a standard operating procedure for a certain thing in your business, ask yourself the question, what happens when my company, to this system, when my company is twice the size? How quickly will that happen? And will I, am I going to need to make a drastic change? Is this good just as a temporary fix or is this good, is this scalable for growth? Yeah. Develop things in your business that are scalable for growth. And then um, I would probably say number three is is what I put on that sheet is is don't don't neglect the basics. Do mm-hmm. the basics of coaching. Do the basics of CrossFit better than anyone else around you, and you'll always have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to fall sure. back on. Yep. Yeah. Now I've got to have the foundation before you can go anywhere else. So and that needs to remain strong. Yep. Definitely. And I also kind of curious, Zach, do you, uh, you know, looking at the next five years, I mean, where, where do you see yourself going? Where, maybe even where do you want to go with max effort? Like, do you have any awesome, you know, just like, hey, this is where I want to be in five years or anything like that? In five years, I will be 35, um, hopefully prepping for master's competition. <laughs> um, yes. But the company, yeah, if I'm not broken, uh, the company <laughs> – in five years, I'd like to see this uh, be not necessarily a household name in Las Vegas, but I want people to think of this company as 
fitness in Las Vegas. I don't want them to think just CrossFit. I want them to think if you need to get in shape, you need to go to CrossFit Max Effort. And I want to be taking care. Uh, I want to. I want to professionalize the industry. I want people to be able to say, "Hey, I coach CrossFit for a living," and have them be making a damn good living doing it. Like I want it to be looked at as as a prestigious position. Mm. Or something that is professional. Like you hear, oh, I'm a personal trainer. And you're like, oh, okay, until you do, want to do what? And people mm-hmm. just know that, oh, that's not a career. I want them to, to, mm-hmm. to think that working at Cross Max Effort is a career option. And that wraps it up for this episode of Box Talk. If you liked what you heard, or you have an idea of what you'd like to hear, let me know by emailing heather at peakmedia.com, peak spelled P-E-A-K-E. As always, thanks for dropping in.